This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, reforming the FDA. Should consumers be more in charge? I don't know if I'm really prepared to start letting, you know, the average consumer make complicated pharmacological decisions about long-term safety and dosing and things like that. Revamping drug regulation when Radio Health Journal returns. As we age, changes in vision can be much more serious than a need for stronger glasses. Without treatment, diseases like cataracts, glaucoma, or age-related macular degeneration can lead to blindness. But many seniors haven't had an eye exam in some time. Ophthalmologist Dr. John Burdall says Eye Care America can help. The American Academy of Ophthalmology's Eye Care America program is designed for medically underserved seniors who haven't been to an ophthalmologist in three or more years. Eligible patients are matched with a nearby volunteer ophthalmologist for a comprehensive medical eye exam and up to one year of care for any disease diagnosed during the initial visit, often at no cost. Launched in 1985, Eye Care America is one of the largest public service programs in American medicine. Find out if you, your friends, or family members are eligible. Visit aao.org slash eyecareamerica. That's aao.org slash eyecareamerica. Healthcare is one of the functions of the federal government that President Trump has promised to shake up most. Dismantling the Affordable Care Act has gotten most of the headlines, but the new administration is also considering major changes to an agency that has its hand in virtually every American's life the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA has a very tough job. It regulates about 30% of the whole U.S. economy beyond just drugs, also food and medical devices and cosmetics and dietary supplements. But when it comes to drugs, what a lot of people don't understand is that one of the FDA's key jobs is to make sure that the drug isn't just safe, but safe and effective. And in these days of very large molecule drugs, drugs for serious and life-threatening diseases, it takes time. The science is extremely difficult. Peter Pitts is president of the Center for Medicine in the Public Interest and a former associate commissioner of the FDA. The last time most people touched science was in high school, where there was a right answer and a wrong answer. When it comes to the type of regulatory science that the FDA has to do, it's extremely difficult. There are nuances. There's really a direct right or wrong answer. So these things take time. And I think that what people want is the FDA to get it right, not necessarily faster, certainly faster if they can do it as well. But I think safety comes first. I think no one's going to argue about that. But just what constitutes safety can produce plenty of arguments. Dr. David Gortler is a former FDA medical officer and former advisor to the FDA and healthcare team of presidential candidate Ted Cruz. He says the agency has approved plenty of drugs whose safety is debatable. One example, he says, is a drug called Addy. I was pretty surprised this drug was approved because this is a drug which, according to the Journal of the American Medical Association, only worked about 8 to 12 percent of the time in women with female sexual dysfunction, with anorgasmia. And maybe that's not so bad, but the problem is that this drug has some very, very serious safety concerns. And not to exaggerate or overstate the facts at all, but if a woman, while taking Addy, were to take some of the most common antibiotics out there, the drug interaction could cause them to die. If they were to take this drug with recreational amounts of alcohol use, again, the drug interaction or the alcohol interaction could cause them to get very sick and die. 
And so the bottom line is with that drug, we're talking about something which it doesn't really work very well. Eight to 12% of the time basically means it, it almost never works. And there's some very significant safety risks. I don't understand why the FDA would approve a drug like that. But Pitt says that's the kind of decision that makes the FDA's job difficult. All drugs have risks as well as benefits, some more than others. And it's the FDA's job to weigh the risk and benefit based on the severity of the disease. So, for example, you're not going to approve a drug for headaches that has a 20% chance of death. But when it comes to ovarian cancer, for example, or lung cancer, the FDA is regularly approving drugs with a high mortality because the death rate for the disease is so high. So again, it comes down to a balance. And I think the FDA does a pretty good job. Could they do a better job? I think they definitely could because they could play better intramurally. And by that, I mean they could do more work in collaboration with academia, with industry, with patient groups to understand the new types of tools that can be brought to bear on drug regulation. Among the new tools, biomarkers, which would allow drug approval based on statistical analysis. These tools have to be validated, but I believe that the FDA can work with outside bodies to validate these individual biomarker tools faster so that more of them can be used to do better research. And I think ultimately, one of the first jobs of the FDA is to help people that are developing new drugs to fail faster. Because if you fail faster, you can invest billions of dollars that you're saving in new types of drugs. And I think that's crucial. You know, the FDA has to be both a regulator of and a partner with industry. And it's a tightrope. I understand that. But I think the FDA needs to embrace that concept. Gortler says it would also be nice if FDA approvals relied a little more on the reviewers who've spent months poring over the evidence. He says too often their recommendations are overturned by top brass. He says the FDA could also remove testing hurdles that exist partially because they've simply always been there. The FDA could always be working a little faster. They could always be doing things a little bit better. Even when it comes to some of the preclinical testing on animals, I mean, nobody really likes that preclinical animal testing. And I can tell you right now, a lot of those, those animal tests really just aren't very useful. They don't elucidate that much information when it comes to clinical testing. But these are legacy tests, which are required by the FDA, and many animals are harmed or killed testing drugs meant for people. The FDA has been under pressure for some time to approve drugs faster. It's one reason President Trump has said he wants to reform the FDA. And speed, or lack of it, in its approval process is perhaps the biggest criticism of the agency. However, Pitt says simply deregulating won't speed up the works, and he says it certainly won't take cost-cutting. If you want the FDA to do a better job, that means doing it faster. And faster means being able to hire more staff to do it appropriately. And that's not being discussed. You know, nothing's for nothing. And people need to understand how this thing works. It's easy to say the FDA is standing in the way of progress. When you say we want to have less regulation, we want to have less spending, we want to have fewer employees, I understand that from a philosophical position, but actions have consequences. And if you don't have the bodies you need to get the job done with excellence, you're not going to get the results that you want. But to truly be a partner with the pharmaceutical industry, Pitt says the agency needs more than just speed. I believe that what the pharmaceutical industry wants more than anything else isn't speed, although speed is important. What they really want is a greater degree of predictability, because predictability allows them to invest their research and development funds more smartly to understand what's going to happen all throughout the process. Now, the bad news is that regulators, on the other hand, love ambiguity because ambiguity gives them endless power to basically do whatever they want. Predictability begins to draw pretty clear white lines around the regulatory process so that things can be done in a solid, predictable manner. 
And over and over again, the industry has said what they really want is a more predictable FDA. That way they know what to do to get programs to move forward. Politicians talk about speed because it's something that people understand, kind of a general talking point that faster is always better. But what industry wants in terms of being able to invest more smartly to develop better clinical programs is a more predictable FDA. However, pharmaceutical companies seem reluctant to support some of the most radical proposals for FDA reform. Among those who've been under consideration for FDA commissioner are those who would reduce drug approval to a yes or no on safety only. It wouldn't matter if the drug works or not. The FDA would have no say over that. And it would be up to consumers to watch out for themselves. But both Gortler and Pitt say that would be dangerous. I don't know if I'm really prepared to start letting you know the average consumer make complicated pharmacological decisions about pharmacogenomics and long-term safety and dosing and things like that. That's naive and foolish and dangerous because you really can't ever separate safety from risk. It's a team. Safety, benefit, risk, benefit, it comes together. Allowing drugs to go on the market that are viewed only on safety, I don't even know what that means because safety trials are done very, very early in the development process. So I don't see how you can even bring a drug to market and give it a label that can be understood by doctors and patients because we wouldn't know what it does. It sounds sexy to say we're going to get these drugs approved quickly because they'll all be safe. But that really means nothing. It's a meaningless statement. Supporters of such an idea say the market would steer consumers to the drugs that work. Some have suggested that the equivalent of a Yelp for drugs would be more helpful than the FDA is. But pharmaceutical companies like having the FDA there to keep snake oil off the market. And Gortler says if safety was the lone standard for drug approval, at least it would force the FDA to get its act together on that. One of the things that could be a potential good outcome of that is that the FDA would have to beef up their safety testing. And right now I can tell you that FDA is doing a very bad job of measuring its safety. What we have now is the FAIRS or the AIRS database, which stands for the Adverse Event Reporting System. And they're just, according to the officials at the FDA, they say only about 1% to 10% of adverse events that occur in the general public are ever collected. So like one of the good aspects that could be on letting a drug go only after safety testing is that the FDA would have to do a much, much better job of collecting safety data. Speeding up the process or approving more drugs by ignoring effectiveness may be too much for people to swallow. But are those the right yardsticks to use to judge the FDA? I've read in a bunch of places online that the FDA in 2016 how it had its lowest number of approvals in you know, the past six years. And that's really not a great metric. You don't just look at the overall number of approvals, like the overall number of widgets that are produced. It really matters what those drugs are for. What I hope will be done, this is something we depend on the drug companies for, is to have more of the blockbuster drugs, which we really need cures for. Because there's still some very serious conditions out there, and we haven't had a really good blockbuster drug in a long time. Some of the major killers in the United States still include heart disease and Alzheimer's disease and stroke and diabetes and certain kinds of cancer. I think it's important not to just look at the quantity, but the quality. Another possible change? Perhaps the FDA will let drug companies promote off-label uses of drugs approved for other purposes. Now they can't, but doctors use drugs for unapproved purposes all the time. Companies want to do more because they're saying, listen, we have legitimate information about how our drugs work in the real world that's peer-reviewed, it's truthful, it's accurate, it's non-misleading, and there's some significant value to the public health to be able to share this with doctors and patients. 
And what the FDA has said is we want to work with industry to get this done responsibly. And I believe that they will, but they're really holding back. This goes back to the issue of predictability versus ambiguity. The FDA, I think, unfortunately, is allowing these rules to remain ambiguous so they can deal with these cases you know, one by one as they see fit. And the federal courts have seen otherwise. The federal courts have said the FDA has no authority to ban the sharing of truthful, accurate, and non-misleading information. So there's still a ways to go with having industry and having the FDA work together to create rules and regulations to do this responsibly. Because I don't believe the way to get this done is through the courts. You want the players who are involved to do it between them rather than having a judge flip a coin and decide which way to go. The FDA can still be a protector of the public health and safety without coming off like the food and drug police. But that will take credibility. It's one reason that Pitts believes the commissioner's job should be filled by a doctor. I think it sends a message to the staff and to the public that they understand, first and foremost, that the job of the FDA commissioner is to be a steward and a guardian of the public health. Secondly, I think you need somebody that understands the staff inside the FDA, the career staff, and the process. Because if you don't, you have somebody walking into that chair who has a tremendously steep learning curve. And even the best commissioner is going to serve eight years, and that rarely ever happens. So you really want somebody who can step into the job, knows the players, knows the process, has an agenda, and can make it happen. One of the things I understood when I worked at the FDA is you can't walk into the FDA and be confrontational. That way you fail. Because if you walk in and you're confrontational, the senior staff says, listen, I was here before you got here. I'll be here after you leave. See you later. You need to be a partner and a leader to get people to buy into your agenda. So even when the public health is at stake, politics are not far away. You can find out more about all our guests on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net. I'm Reed Pence. Medical Notes this week. We reported last week on the opioid epidemic. Now a new study finds yet another symptom of opioid addiction, amnesia. The CDC's Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report describes a group of 14 patients, almost all opioid addicts, who couldn't remember things they'd just been told. Along with short-term memory loss, the patients had abnormal MRI scans as well. Doctors are concerned the patients represent a new condition triggered by substance abuse that they were not previously aware of. Researchers say most of the patients recovered their normal memory after several months substance-free. Sitting in traffic is a sure way to increase your stress level, and a new study shows it also increases domestic violence. A study at Louisiana State University correlated 25 million traffic observations and 2 million police reports over four years and found that extreme traffic jams increase the likelihood of domestic violence when people get home by about 6%. People who have suffered concussions are held out of sports and school until they're considered recovered, but a new study shows that even then, they may have trouble driving. The study in the Journal of Neurotrauma tested the driving skills of 14 people who had had a concussion but felt that they were now over it. Researchers say that at times they drove as if they were drunk. And finally, parents who use threats and raised voices to get their kids to behave often end up doing the opposite. A study in the journal Child Development shows that kids parented harshly as tweens are more likely to drop out of school, engage in early sex, and commit theft a few years later. Researchers say those kids reject their domineering parents and seek approval from their peers instead. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. 
Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTrax Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.